You're listening to the Rethink Travel Podcast. It's the podcast that will make you a better traveler. In each episode, you'll hear experts talk about issues in the tourism industry and learn how you can travel more responsibly. Without further ado, please welcome your host and responsible travel expert, Annika. So, Nicola, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Yes, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Annika. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Bloodlines film and the campaign? Yes, sure. So Bloodlines film was premiered uh, in 2015 in South Africa uh, with the producer Pippa Hankinson and many other amazing team members and one such person who uh, has been working in the industry for over 25 years and that is Ian Mickler um, who who would be another great person to chat to um, at a later stage Um, and basically the film is looks exposes um, so Pepper and the crew, Pepper and Ian and the crew uh, go through to to a number of these facilities, um, and they talk to all kinds of people within the hunting community, the conservation community, the tourism community, um, and they basically expose and highlight the cub petting, canned hunting, predator breeding, and lion bone trade in South Africa. Um, and that film was released in 2015, as I said. And uh, at that time, we also launched this um, international campaign, uh, which uh, looks at driving those messages um, uh, using the, fil- the film as a tool. Um, and so we've got a very strong uh, digital um, footprint and we, we look at, at continuing those messages and creating awareness through platforms like uh, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. And, um, and then we, we expanded on the campaign and created a new one called Youth Alliance, which is targeted primarily at the youth across the world, uh, which looks at your, at your cub petting and your walking with lions activities because not always, but majority of those um, tourists or volunteers are are younger. Um, so we've got that campaign running as well. Um, and yeah, we managed to reach about 11, 11 million people within the first year online. Um, so so that was a great um, great start. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to chatting with you uh, about a couple of things at lion hunting and petting lion cubs. Um, And I feel like the vast majority of the people are easily against the hunting, but at the same time, the very same person could be very interested in petting a lion cub when given a chance. So can you tell us a little bit, what is the connection between these two activities, the hunting and the lion uh, petting? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great question, and not many people fully understand what they're doing when they do it. Uh, there are thousands of unsuspecting tourists 
that come to South Africa uh, and are sold this big conservation lie where they're basically told that these lion cubs are orphans or that they've been rejected by their mothers and need to be hand-raised to be ultimately released back into the wild when they're older. So the reality there is that they are actually forcibly removed at a few days old to be hand-raised by volunteers or tourists for a fee. Um, and once they are a little older, they move into these things called walking with lions or these, these walking activities where tourists are actually pay to walk with them for a, about an hour or so. Uh, once they become, once these lions um, become too big and dangerous, they are then, so here's the big fraud and the big lie, um, they are then traded. So three things could happen to these these lions. They are, are then traded to other facilities or zoos. Um, they then could be sold for what you call, what we call canned hunting, or they are then killed for the lion bone trade. So basically, the entire life cycle of this cub um, is worth a huge amount of money from birth until death. And so that's the connection between petting a very sweet lion cub, thinking that you're doing something good. Um, and in fact, it's just being exploited for a number of commercial reasons. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty cruel uh, destiny for a little cute little lion that you probably did not see going that way when you first pet them. So you kind of implied that this is a popular activity. Is this very, very common in South Africa? Very common. Yes. Um, we have about 300 facilities in South Africa alone uh, in terms of predator facilities. So there's these will have uh, lions, leopards, tiger, cheetah, um, and not all of them, but most of them will offer these kind of activities um, as a as a revenue source for for them um, later down the line, then to to sell them off for more money. So it's very popular, and of course, again, as you mentioned, they are. Tourists are, are sold this big conservation story and you feel good, you want to, you want to, I mean, why not? They're very sweet and the money that you pay apparently is going into conservation. So it's very popular and very easy um, to, to do. Yeah, absolutely. Or so it sounds anyway. Um, so why would somebody be breeding uh, lions in the first place are they endangered in the wild is there not enough of them in the wild or is it just all a big hoax so that's a very good question so yes the the first answer to that is they are endangered lions are endangered in the wild uh, and in south africa we're sitting with about uh, in between 2000 and 3000 lions in the wild in south africa they are endangered um, but they, what here's the big thing that not, not many people know is that they actually breed very, very well in the wild. If they have enough space, they breed very well in wild areas. So the big answer there is, is no, we do not need to breed lions in captivity for the wild. So there's, there's wild areas in South Africa 
And if they need to move lions from one wild space to another wild space, they will do so. They do not need to be breeding lions to be released into these areas. Uh, so that is the um, that's that's reality. And the biggest threat, actually, to lions is space, as as it is with most animals across the world, um, as human wildlife conflict, and just having enough wild space. Uh, so that's that's where you where you'll look at having endangered species. Exactly. Okay. And would you say that this uh, sort of business model, if you can call it that, it's uh, very South African, or does that uh, happen elsewhere uh, in other African countries? So the the canned hunting itself is 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 you would say very common and popular in South Africa. Um, but in terms of breeding, so breeding wildlife, um, that is, is you find that in, in other countries across the world, um, but, but it's really, really bad in, um, in South Africa, um, but you do find it in, in other countries like Zimbabwe. Uh, and just to give you a bit more background there, which I should have mentioned earlier, is that we are sitting with as I said, approximately 3,000 lions in the wild in South Africa, but we are looking at approximately between nine and 12,000 lions in captivity in South Africa. So the bottom line is the breeding, the breeding is the issue here. Um, so that kind of business model is, is, is hugely popular in South, Af- in South Africa, but it does happen in other countries. So you're saying there's more uh, captive lions, that there are wild lions, and also that the, most of the captive lions are not released back to the nature. Is that also correct? That's correct. And, and just and in fact, no, none of these lions are released. Not one. That does sound like um, a big lie because I've certainly read that uh, just as I was doing a little bit of research and, uh, and looking at these places and uh, certainly many places do promise that they either, like you mentioned, were orphaned or saved somehow. There was a tragic start to their life and uh, um, and that they will be released in, you know, once, once they're ready. But uh, it, it's really sad to learn that that's really not the case. Yes. So, so, so that is one of the biggest lies. And, and you, in South Africa, you'll find that the genuine conservation authorities will not uh, accept captive bred lions into a wild area for two main reasons. The one is that they are so inbred um, and, and genetically tarnished um, and and the second is that they, as I said earlier, they don't they don't need to they don't need to um, use captive bred lions. They they basically can move lions or translocate them from other reserves. So and, and obviously, sorry, the second uh, reason why they won't use it is the majority of these lions have been uh, hand reared by volunteers and tourists, so they are completely habituated. Uh, to humans and more often than not will not survive in the wild um, because they aren't able to, they don't know how to hunt um, and, and, and they're completely habituated. So those are the big reasons why um, there's, they aren't released. Um, And so there's this huge buildup 
of um, captive bred lions in this country. Okay, exactly. So, and I, I think one of the challenges is that you kind of hinted that there may be some, what you would call a true sanctuary, that is a legit place that does good for the animals, but the vast majority of them are not good. So how do you separate between the two? Yes, very good question. So as I mentioned, there are approximately 300 facilities uh, that are breeding predators, and there are just a handful that are genuine ethical places where you could, or you could say true sanctuaries. Uh, and then, so there's a couple of key questions that you must ask, and, and this is what Blood, Blood Lions pushes on a daily basis, is do your research and make sure you ask the right questions. So let me run through some of those. The one, the biggest one here and the biggest flag is, does the sanctuary that you want to go to, does it offer any activities based on human and animal interaction? So does it let you touch their wild animals? Okay. Um, if it is a sanctuary, do they offer lifelong care for the animals? So basically, is it a forever home? Um, and I'll go into more detail just now, but um, that leads you to your next question. Are they trading with animals? So if they're genuine, that animal is acquired um, or, or given, you could say, and it lives its life out in in a in a in a sanctuary so it it will it's it's sterilized and it's it's it stays in one sanctuary until it, it passes um the next question is where do these animals come from and where do some of them go so again when you look on these websites are there cubs um is the interaction are there cubs because there really shouldn't be um, they again, if, if you've got these these cubs that are there, it's they must be breeding. Where are all these cubs coming from, and where are they going? Because they lions breed very very well in captivity, so you can often have hundreds of lions. Um, and and the bottom line is we need to get our volunteers or our tourists to really think about. Um, where they're coming from or where they're going when when they do their research. Uh, the the next question is, do they have a recognized predator ecologist or scientist? So if it is genuine, you know, they'll have um, a link to a recognized conservationist or ecologist on site, you know, if they are doing genuine conservation projects. And then the last very, very big question that they need to be asking is, have any of their animals been released into the wild? If so, where have they been released and when? Because our answer to that is we know that they don't get released. So so there, there is your answer. Um, you really need to push to see if they are being released where, because we would love to know, because uh, we're, we're not aware of where these 12,000 lions are going. Exactly. So if they were released at the rate that they say they are, there sure would be a lot more wild lions is where you're getting at. Yes. So you also mentioned about volunteer programs and in relation to these sanctuaries uh, that are either good or not so much. And I do see a lot of volunteer programs and they are very expensive, even for a week or two. And 
more often than not, they're marketed with, um, you know, lion walking and with photos of um, either petting lions or other big cats. Um, so is the issue here with the volunteer places the same as with the sanctuaries? Most of them are not exactly ethical. Correct. Uh, there is many, many volunteer programs, often on exactly the same uh, facilities where at the, the back of house they run a volunteer program, which basically just using uh, unsuspecting volunteers to do the work. So taking jobs away, um, you could say that um, of, of people in South Africa. And um, and the front, on the front of it, they are offering these lions to tourists on a daily basis to be petted. So the volunteers often do the really hard slog of the cleaning of the cages and, and that kind of thing in the back. And it's exactly the same model where you, we need, the tourists or the, or the volunteers need to be asking the question of, of why am I allowed to touch this wild animal if it's supposed to be released into the wild? Um, you know, it causes it causes a huge amount of stress on the animal. Um, the animals are it, it, you're basically contributing to a huge commercial cycle, um, where as more volunteers come in, they want you know tourists are wanting young cubs, um, and it's just this sort of vicious uh, circle where the cubs go through that cycle um, and then eventually go into be traded or 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 hunted. Um, but it's it's a very similar, it's the same kind of model. And ultimately, the volunteers need to be asking um, themselves, you know, the, the ethics behind being able to touch these animals and the fact that they've been removed from their, their mothers. Um, and, you know, basically, how are they going to be released and survive in the wild um, if they've been hand-reared? Well, exactly, because that sounds like a very mutually exclusive thing. You can't have a lion that's being pet by humans regularly and then release that to the wild. How is it going to fend for itself and, and be um, exactly. afraid of humans uh, to a certain degree? And this actually brings me to a really heartbreaking uh, video that I've seen online some time ago where there's uh, uh, it's a group of hunters who are looking uh, or chasing a lion who is not running away. Uh, she is expecting full well for them to go pet uh, her because she's lying on her back, just excited to see people, not threatened at all. And these hunters go and kill her. Um, so can you explain in very simple terms, what is canned hunting where these lion cubs end up from these uh, uh, sanctuaries in, in quotation marks? Yes, so the as a definition, canned hunting refers to the shooting of captive bred or tame animals in a confined area. So their other definitions are people call it captive hunting, high fenced hunting, or or ranched hunting. So. In terms of the life cycle, these, as we spoke about, um, they're born in captive situations, they're hand-reared, they go through their tourism cycle, they are then they then get very big and very dangerous to handle. Um, they are then 
generally sold on to a hunting outfitter or to a property where a hunter would have bought his permit to hunt a lion. And often these, um, these lions are then dropped on the property. Most of them are tame. And if they aren't tame, they are um, often drugged. And uh, they are shot within, by, by, by hunters they are shot, or, or canned hunters they are shot within three days. And it's a guaranteed hunt. So, so here's, you know, in terms of the difference between your, what you would call a fair chase hunt and a, a captive or a canned hunt, uh, a fair chase hunt or a wild where, where hunters come through and they want to hunt a wild lion, that will take approximately three weeks and you're not guaranteed. So the, the hunting operator, is it's not a guaranteed hunt because it's a wild lion. Um, they go out into wild areas. Uh, there's been a specific permit that's been given for that based on the age of, of the, the, the lion or the quota that has been sent, um, set. And that often takes three weeks and, and, and that is going to cost a hunter anything from a hundred to $135,000 for a wild hunt. And then a canned hunt is between 25 and $35,000 and that's guaranteed. So it's a much cheaper hunt. It's a different type of hunter. Um, and it's often they, they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're not very, uh, proficient at, at rifle handling and, you know, they come over and it's quick and easy and I don't have too, too much time and I want my lion. Um, and that's, that's where the market comes in for the canned hunting. Okay. So it, it certainly does sound like it is uh, the cheaper option and obviously the easier option as well, although um, it, it's still a lot of money, 20 to $30,000 per lion. Yes. So, is it mostly money-driven, this industry? That's the reason why it's so flourishing, because it does bring a lot of money? Uh, for the breeders and the hunters, definitely, yes. Yes, I mean, as I mentioned, you can make, uh, from from the captive bred industry, you from the time that the cub is born, uh, right until um, it's shot, and even after that, um, it's a great business model. You can make money from every section of, of the lion's life um, where it is it is hunted for trophy. And then, in fact, to go further than that, now we're looking at the lion bone trade. So something that's even more serious at this stage. So, you know, canned hunting, in fact, since the movie uh, was released, uh, the Bloodlines film premiered in 2015, and um, there's a, there was not just bloodlines, but a number of partners um, and people that have been working uh, on this industry for many, many years. In 2016, you know, we, canned hunting has came down unofficial numbers between 50 and 60 percent. So uh, from that side of things, um, that's been fantastic. But what's now happened where where the campaign is now moving is to concentrate on the breeding to stop to stop the breeding of these predators and now uh, the lion bone trade which is basically 
the use of lion bones as a substitute for tiger bones for Asian, traditional Asian medicine. Because uh, what happens is those lions um, are bred and uh, the bones are used, are exported across to Asia or the lions are shot in those canned hunting situations and the bones are used. So that's where that model is, is very successful. And I think I just read recently in the news that the uh, ban was lifted in China, was it for a tiger bone for the medicine use? So that certainly sounds a little concerning that it's uh, it might be uh, growing now, especially if lion bones are used instead of the tiger bones. Correct, yes. And, and uh, it is very concerning. And there's been a number of major NGOs that have released statements um, around that. Um, and in fact... The update on that particular piece of news is that China has postponed that particular um, ban. Um, uh, perhaps they are uh, rethinking it or getting more information on on the the real issues there. But but yeah, initially when that came out, uh, there was there is massive concern. Um, of the pressure that it'll put on on lions and tigers in the wild. So you uh, hinted a little bit that the attitudes are changing a little bit towards uh, canned lion hunting. So what would be your ideal scenario? What would these places that currently offer uh, hunting um, and lion walking and lion petting, what would they do instead? Well, yeah, that's... <laughs> It's a good question. I mean, they must stop. <laughs> exactly. So that would so, be the ultimate goal to, to yeah. eradicate this kind of practice altogether. Yes. So ultimately to stop the breeding, um, to to halt the breeding of predators and uh, these, these false conservation stories that they're selling, um, you know, we would want to put an end to the breeding of predators um, and the tourism fraud that is that is pushed out based on that, because um, now we are sitting with a big problem of of between nine and twelve thousand lions, and in a couple of years' time we're going to have double that. So we have to stop. We have to stop soon. And the the issue is the demand as well from from an international audience from the international. Um, community coming through to these places and and not being aware of of what they're actually paying for and the fact that they're contributing to this commercial cycle. So you know once once the awareness once there's more awareness, people perhaps will choose the right places to visit rather than unknowingly walking into the wrong. Okay, so so that's sort of the scenario uh, in the ideal world. And for us as travelers, is the best way to see lions and other uh, sort of big cats uh, just out there in the nature on a safari somewhere? Is that the the uh, best way for for just your regular travelers to go experience these animals? Absolutely. So South Africa has some of the most unbelievable national parks. Uh, dotted around the country where the animals are wild and free roaming and uh, it's, it's, it's not too expensive to, to visit them even for a day and uh, you'll see animals in their natural state and, and for, for bloodlines that is, 
that is the ultimate, is, is to direct those vital funds um, into the right conservation spaces. Uh, there are, in like as in the uh, Bloodlines movie, there are a handful of ethical, genuine sanctuaries uh, that are there that do offer a no interaction and a lifetime home so those are those are places that we do recommend and then there's other volunteer uh, places that again offer a genuine um, a, a genuine kind of conservation experience and and one of those would be wildlife act um, and they do genuine conservation projects and and the money that comes in from that uh, is you is put to good use so yes, again, coming through to South Africa, asking those vital questions and choosing the right place. Otherwise, you'd be 100% safe to go to our national parks on safari. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that I think what most people have in their mind when they are arriving to the country is that they will go on a safari and just somewhere along the way, uh, <laughs> they end up seeing this uh, um, uh, sanctuaries in quotation marks. Um, I also wanted to ask, you mentioned that there are these genuine sanctuaries and volunteer programs. Do you think they rely mostly on the tourism dollar or are they mostly funded elsewhere and the tourists are helping it? Or what's the, do you know the uh, dynamics there um, financially? I, I, I'm not uh, too afraid with, with the exact, but I would uh, genuinely, genuinely, it's it's a bit of both. So they do have um, donor funding, so private donors from the international market that uh, has done a lot of research on the sanctuary and um, has 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 made uh, you know they've they've made the right decision in terms of the way that they've they're dealing with their animals, how they acquire their animals. Um, the uh, welfare standards, um, and and there's, so there is a fair bit of uh, private or NGO donations or funding, and then the tourism uh, market definitely. Um, and, and you know they also some of these places do do have volunteers and offer that volunteer model, but then it's a completely different type of experience where you are. Um, not interacting with that animal um, at all and, and you're doing kind of basic care needs in terms of water and food prep and, and those kind of things. Um, because I think the other question that you need to to ask, um, which happens to these places, is is sort of young, young volunteers, um, people like myself, you know, we, we're not experienced in rearing hand and uh, uh, wild animals so we really shouldn't be dealing with them at all that should be left to to the conservationists uh so so those are the genuine ones where you know if you're not experienced um and you don't have a wildlife veterinary handling rehab degree then then you really shouldn't be handling any of these animals so uh, a lot of these genuine sanctuaries do offer these volunteer programs but in the in the right way Exactly, and they probably are a little bit longer term than maybe a one week. Exactly. Yeah, it, it just seems uh, very uh, common what I see online. They're quite pricey, thousands of dollars for a week, uh, and that immediately just uh, uh, 
rigged it to my attention like oh maybe this is uh, something a little sketchy going on here yes yes exactly so I was uh, doing a little research yesterday on the Tourism South Africa site uh, website and I was quite happy to notice that they do speak about this uh, lion uh, petting and how it's not an ethical thing to do. Um, so that was certainly good to see that the National Tourism Organization does talk about this kind of issue. And I'd just like to finish with a little bit of positive news, if you can elaborate on this, because I just saw that recently it came out that there is a parliamentary report calling for an end to captive lion breeding in South Africa. And we've talked a little bit about how the attitudes are changing, maybe a little bit. So do you think this sort of uh, parliamentary report might actually truly lead to the end or at least towards that? Yes, so so you're right. There's, we've had very promising um, statements coming out from various um, organizations, uh, including uh, Tourism South Africa, where the CEO uh, came out with a uh, uh, a very promising statement uh, against um, lion-cub interaction or cub petting or walking with lions. And uh, so those kind of little mile or, or big or smaller or bigger milestones are really chip away at the greater um, awareness uh, around that tourism activity. And um, so there's been a number of, of wins. And then in terms of this parliamentary report coming out recently, that's that's been huge um, for the industry. And uh, we're certainly pleased. And although there's a it's a very long way to go still. Um, and and there's been a few changes within environmental affairs in South Africa recently. Um, so we just hope that, that that report can go through through well. But uh, it's a long way to go, but it's certainly a start, and, and we are very positive on that report. It's the first time something like that has come out um, in terms of a comprehensive report that uh, deals with all the issues that many, many people um, in the conservation and welfare industries have been wanting to bring up uh, for for a long time. So it, it's great that the government has has acknowledged that and is, is, is working at, at that. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic and really uh, encouraging news for sure. But of course, as with anything to do with Parliament, it's uh, certainly a long process, but sounds like it yes. might be heading to the right way. Yes. I mean, just to, sorry, to, to go back in terms of other things that are happening on the sidelines is, is Bloodlines initiated a what we called a, a, a Born to Live Wild pledge um, in 2016. And that's based at the global tourism community where we've had huge names um, sign, get behind it and sign it, um, which looks at basically stopping their promotion of um, cub, the, the cub petting exploitative tourism activities, hum, uh, human wildlife interaction, uh, and so forth. And so we've got names like Expedia, National Geographic, um, and those kind of big tourism-based outlets that, that are putting pressure on the wider community to do the same thing. 
So the more that you kind of chip away and the awareness gets out like that, the better. So so we're getting there. And essentially these uh, companies that have signed up and, and taken the pledge, does that mean that they are avoiding these uh, unethical places? Is that what they are essentially committed to? Yes. So they have committed to not to to no prom- promotion or sale of cub petting or walking with lions activities. That's fantastic, and that's really, I think, how from a tourism point of view, the change comes is when you cut the uh, the supply uh, and demand. Do you change that dynamic when? you educate the tourists that this is not good, they will stop going to these places and eventually, it might take quite a bit of time, but eventually these uh, places that offer these unethical activities, they will realize that uh, it's not as popular as it once was and maybe it will, together with the pressure from the government and other groups, maybe that will lead into something very good in the future. Exactly. I mean, it's got to be pressure from all sides. And and they you know these these facilities are feeling it. We we do hear uh, that some of them are, are are battling and trying to find other revenue uh, sources. Um, so yeah, eventually from all the the pressure coming from all sides will will hopefully get closer and closer to shutting it down. And lastly, can you tell us where can we see this film? Where can we go learn more about the, all the great work that Blood Lions does. Yes, so you can go to www.bloodlions.org and there you'll find everything you need to know, um, including a screenings tab. And once you click there, you'll be able to see exactly where you need, where you can view the film, whether it's VOD or um or if you want to order the DVD, uh, it's it's possible to do that. Um, so you can see the film that way. Otherwise, join us on all of our social media platforms, um, and yeah, just help us spread the word. That's that's how you can find us. Thank you so much, Nicola, for joining me for the podcast and telling us about this issue. Annika, it's a it's a huge pleasure, and yeah, thank you for contributing to the awareness around that. 